grab a Bible, grab a Bible, um, and in your Bible turn to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, it's in the first part of the Bible before Jesus came, 1 Kings chapter 19. I need you to help me preach this morning. Stay standing, stay standing. I need you to help me preach this morning. Uh, I've got a message, but we're going to preach it together, all right? We're going to preach it together. 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, we're not going to read a, a fairy tale or a legend or a myth together. We're going to read the words of someone that actually spoke them, the, the details that actually took place in this life. I find it remarkable that 2,000 years after this book was finished, there still remains to be no evidence to suggest anything that's recorded didn't actually happen. Like in 2,000 years, all the science and archaeology and the history that's taken place, all the minds that have lived and tried to defy the words of this book, in 2,000 years, nothing, nothing can be said that stands against any word that is recorded in this book. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? So we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 19 together. Now Ahab, Ahab's the king. Everyone say the king. king. Now Ahab told Jezebel, the queen, everyone say the queen. Everything, Elijah, who is a man of God, a prophet. Everyone say the prophet. prophet. Now Ahab the king told Jezebel the queen everything Elijah the prophet had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. See, there's a story, there's a backstory which we'll get to, where there, there were some people who opposed God. They didn't believe what God said, they didn't believe what God did. And so they fought the people that did believe what God did. And Elijah won because he was fighting with God. And so the queen finds out about what Elijah did and how all the people who didn't believe in our God were killed. So Jezebel the queen sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. This is a death threat. It's a death threat from the king's palace that by this time tomorrow, Elijah will be dead. Elijah was afraid, like no dirt, right? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This, mess- this morning I've got a message titled, Thrive Through the Pain thrive through the pain. I don't know the pain you've been facing this year, and I don't know the pain that you may face in the next year, but I know that God doesn't want you to to go through your pain on your own, facing the challenges on your own without any help. I know God wants you to thrive in your pain, to experience a fullness of life in your pain, to know that even in your pain, his power is still strong, and he will still work through you, even in your pain. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can worship you this morning. We thank you so much for the words we've already heard from Pastor Nathan, Pastor Jerome, and Pastor Ali. We thank you for the miracles we've already seen, but we thank you that this is not it. We thank you that you've got another day to speak to us, another day to move through us, another day to move in us, and that this morning we will see many more miracles, Lord Jesus. And tonight we'll see many more miracles, many more stories and testimonies of the way you've worked in our lives. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, you take your seat. High five the person next to you. Band, you can sit down. Thank you so much. Obed, you're done. You're a beautiful man. Thrive through the pain. Thrive through the pain. To correct it. Have you, um, have you, ever, have you ever been stung by a bee or stung by a wasp? Has anyone been stung this weekend? Because they seem to be absolutely... Some of you have. Wow. Like, just give me a hand up if you've never been stung before by a bee or wasp. That's too many of you. 
That is too many of you. That's, that's like more than half of you have never been stung before. That's, that is not on. This could, be, this could be your year that you get stung, come on. This could be your year. Hey, I, I used to be, I used to be one of you who had never been stung before. I, I used to, this time last year, I'd have put my hand up then, because this time last year I'd never been stung by a bee or a wasp. And you know like your, your parents, your guardians, they'll tell you like, ignore the wasp, it will ignore you. Like just, just let it go. And that was me. I was happy with my life. I'd never, never encountered them in a bad way. When they sort of buzz around you at the barbecue at summer, you just let them get on with their business. And, and I'd never been stung before. And then September came. And, uh, and the, the seasons were turning to autumn. And um, we've got a garden that needs looking after. And I was coming back from work one day, and I, and I needed to do some gardening. And so I got home, and I get changed, and I just I put some skinny jeans on and a tracky top. And I get ready to go outside and do the garden. And so we keep our lawnmower at the back of the garden. And so I grab the keys because it's in a little storage box. And I wander out to the back of the garden. And I'm not, not really thinking about much. Uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. And I'm just thought of it's a bit of a chore mowing the lawn. So I just want to get the mower out, mow the lawn, half an hour, be done, get on with my life. And so I take the keys, I walk to the back of the garden, and I, and I get to the storage box where we keep our lawnmower. And I undo the padlock. And I put the padlock on the side, and I, and I lift up the, the storage box. And as I lift up the storage box, this wasp jumps out at me. And, and I do what we'd all do in that moment, just a little hop back. And I, and I immediately shut my mouth, because we've all heard that one story, but no one actually knows the person. <laughs> But we've all heard that one story that swallowed a wasp, uh, or that guy that's bitten a wasp and it stung him in his lip. We've all heard the story, but never met the person, right? So I jump back and I close my mouth, and my beady eyes are watching this wasp fly around. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening to my mum's voice in my head, Greg, ignore the wasp, it'll ignore you. And I'm like, okay, just watching this thing. And it, and it just flies off into the distance, uh, and I think nothing of it, forget all about it, move on with gardening. And so the wasp is gone, and I go back to the storage box. And again, I lift up the storage box, I lock it in place, and I reach in to grab the lawnmower out. And as I reach in, I look at my hand, and there's not one or two wasps buzzing around my hand. There's four, five, six, seven wasps buzzing around my hand. And then, and then I look down at my clothes, and there's not one or two wasps on my clothes. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of wasps. I mean, they're crawling all over me. You know they do that thing where they like rub their hands as they taunt you on you? They're doing that hand rubbing thing on me. I don't even know what they're doing in that moment. But they're, and they're, they are covering me. And in my, in my head, I'm, I'm hearing my mum say, ignore the wasps and they'll ignore you. I'm like, mum, it ain't working. They are all over me. And so I run like a madman around my garden. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And they are, I mean, they are covering me. You know those cartoons where you see the little man running and, and the wasp's nest is following the guy. I felt like I was one of those. And we were overlooked by a load of houses. And I look like a right fool as I'm running around my garden. And these wasps are all over me. And after what feels like an eternity, but it was probably only a few seconds, I've run around. And I, and I think, I think I'm down to the last few wasps on me. I think, I think the wasp has left. And I look down and I look at both my legs, and this was my first mistake. But I look down at both my legs and I think, my first mistake, I think I'm down to two wasps. 
And I'm like, I can take two wasps. I can take two wasps. And there's one on my right leg and one on my left leg. I can take these guys. I'm a man. I'm a married man. I provide for my wife. I pay the mortgage. I pay the gas bill. I, I buy the sports package so I can watch the Arsenal. I can take these wasps. And as I'm thinking this, as the adrenaline's building up inside of me, the one on the right leg, I think he can feel my rage, and he just flies off. He's gone. And I'm like, I'm down to one. I'm like, it's just you and me, buddy. We got this. And so I, I go and I pick up a stick. Like, some people, you fight them off with your hands. Like, I mean, that's not normal, is it? Like, batting them away with your hand. That is, so I'm, I'm not one of those. So I grab, I grab a stick. I'm like, this stick, you, you and me stick, we're going down, you wasp. And, and so... So my, sec my first mistake was thinking I was down to just the two wasps and, and now only one. My second mistake was, was choosing to put the stick in my left hand. And I'm still not sure why I did this. You see, I'm a right-handed guy. I can throw with my right hand. I can catch with my right hand. I can bat with my right hand. My left hand, sometimes it feels like it belongs to someone else. You, you know that? Like you try and it just, it's not, it doesn't do what you want it to do. You're playing that sport and it's just... You know, guys, you feel like a girl. And it just, just doesn't seem to do what you want it to do. And so I, I, pick up, I pick up the stick, second mistake, put it in my left hand, and, and this wasp is crawling up my shin to my knee, and it just wanders around to the back of my leg. And it's on, like, the back, back of my knee. And so I, I pick up this stick, and with all the force and might within me, I take this stick and I smash it against the back of my leg. The problem is I, I don't hit the wasp because I'm left-handed. And so what I do is I inflict maximum pain on myself because I just hit myself with the stick, entirely missing the wasp. But now the wasp is under attack. And what happens when wasps are under attack? They start attacking you. And this wasp senses the attack of the Greg and immediately pinces me right in the back of my knee. I'm like, ah! Oh! I've just hit myself as hard as I can, and now this wasp has inflicted pain by stinging me. And, and the pain is real, people. Like those who haven't been stung before, the pain is real. We don't make the pain up. The pain hurts. And so suddenly my leg goes limp. I've never been stung before, so I'm thinking, like, am I going to have to get this thing amputated? Is it going to, like, swell up? Am I going to get covered in a rash all over me? I don't know. I don't know. Am I allergic to this thing? Who knows? And so this, this thing stings me, but, but part of me is relieved, you know? Because I had an army of them on me. I had, like, dozens of them on me, but only one sting. So part of me thinks, you know what? This is all right. I can take this. And so as I turn to sort of stagger back inside, I, I notice a second wasp, a third wasp that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and this wasp crawls up from by my ankle. And I kid you not, I did nothing to provoke this wasp. Nothing at all. But he just crawls up to the exact same spot I was stung on but seconds before, stings me, and then flies off. I have no chance to retaliate. I have no chance to curse him. I mean, he stings me in the exact same spot and flies off. So now I am in like severe agony. I'm thinking like A&E is probably going to happen tonight. And so I, I stagger back to the kitchen and I, I'm like banging on. We've got a utility room that leads to our kitchen. I'm banging on the door. I'm like, Ames, help me. Help me. And Ames is like, she's cooking in the kitchen. 
making her spag bol. That's how you cook, isn't it? And so she's cooking in the kitchen, and she's like, what, what, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I'm like, wasps everywhere, stung, pain, hospital. And so she just bursts out laughing. She's like, what are you on about, Greg? Hosp- hospital, hospital. I'm like, no, no, I'm, this is not a laughing matter. And so she opens the door, I get into the utility room, and you know, um, third mistake, you know that feeling you get sometimes when uh, maybe you've been in the forest, or you've, like, you know someone spots a spider on you or something? And then you, you have that feeling that they're like crawling all over you. Like you get that feeling like, oh, oh it feels like you, you've got all goosebumps. And it, it feels like they're crawling all over you. Um, so I, I'm in the utility room panicking, panicking like mad. Socks are flying off. My trousers are off. My, my neighbors can see everything. My, my um, jackets come off. And I'm, I'm just left in my box with my t-shirt. And, um, and it feels like I've got wasps buzzing around inside of me. And I just need to get these things off. Really soon it becomes apparent it's not, a, it's not just a feeling, but there is somehow a wasp has flown inside my tracksuit top, inside my t-shirt, and is now buzzing inside of me. Fits, so I'm like, whoa, get this thing off me. Ames is like, get me out of here, get me out. And then we fl- flies out, this wasp is like chasing after me. I slam the kitchen door shut. I'm sure the wasp is like looking me in the eye, saying I'm coming for you. I'm like, get me out of here. And, uh, and like, I crawl upstairs, I'm like, Ames, what on earth do I do? Help me. Help, I don't have a mum anymore, I've got a wife, like, help me, help me. And so I crawl upstairs, and um, you all think marriage is, like, really sexy, but for the next half an hour, I'm sat in the bath, crying, in my boxers, as Ames has the shower head on the back of my head, saying, it'll be all right, Greg, it'll be all right, Greg, you can get through this, because the pain was real. The pain was real. And uh, you may not have been stung by a wasp or a bee before, but we all know what it's like to feel pain in this world, don't we? Like, we all know what it's like to feel pain in this world. Some of you would have picked up your results just before we came to summer camp. And, and the results you got as you opened the envelope were not the results you were expecting. And suddenly, like a sharp shoot of disappointment or annoyance or frustration or pain flies through your system as you realize the results you got were not the results you wanted. You know, so often in life, friends can fight with each other, don't they? You may have been fighting with friends in this summer camp because we get on each other's nerves, we say things we shouldn't say, and and so relationships can become strained and boyfriend and girlfriend break up and we feel pain as a result of it. Family so often can be dysfunctional. You know, it's not like it is on the TV ads with the two parents and the two children. Everyone just loves and, and, and lives in harmony with each other. Our parents break up and, and fight and it gets messy. And siblings fight and run away and it gets messy. And so our family can be so dysfunctional and we can feel pain every time we walk through our doors going home. Church at some point will probably disappoint you. Because it's made up of human leaders who make mistakes. And if it's not already, it'll probably at some point disappoint you. The leaders will not respond in the way you wish they would have responded. The church does not do what you wish it would have done in that certain situation. And you feel disappointment and pain as a result. Your friends fight. Your family can be dysfunctional. Church can disappoint you. And we all feel pain. You know, circumstances can happen to us. Like health issues can happen to us. Family members can pass away. And the result is we feel pain and we feel like we cannot control anything. And finally, this is the biggie. You know, we all make mistakes. We say things we wish we'd never said. We do things we wish we'd never do. 
and we go back to our bedroom after a hard, hard day. We're playing these actions and events and words in our mind, wishing we could take back time, wishing we could make the pain go away and change our actions and change our mistakes. But instead, we're left in a pool of frustration, meditating over the bad things that have happened, getting frustrated and annoyed and sadder and sadder at the pain we seem to be facing every single day. And this is the hard thing, right? Because we come to summer camp and we say, thrive. We say, Jesus has come to give you life and life to the full. And so we have this and, and we want this life and life to the full that Jesus offers. We want to experience everything God's got for us in this life. We believe God's got dreams for us and visions for us of things we will accomplish and the power that he will give us to do incredible things that literally change the world. And so we come to summer camp and we want the fullness of life that God's given us, don't we? But then so often... We return home to our families, to our workplaces, to our schools, and we're hit with the pain of life. The things of frustration, the circumstances that happen to us, the mistakes that others make or we make. And we look at the thriving fullness of life that we believe we're in, we should have and we believe Jesus came to give us. But at the same time, in our pain and circumstances and mess, all we can feel like is how on earth can I experience a thriving life? when I'm faced with such pain and disappointment and anguish. And so what I'm hoping we can answer together this morning is how on earth we find a thriving life, how on earth we can find a life of fullness in amongst the pain that we experience. How can we experience a fullness of life? How can we live in the fullness, thriving life that Jesus offers us in amongst the pain of today, when circumstances don't go the way we want them, when plans fail and people mess up? How can we experience a fullness of life in the pain of today? And that takes us to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. See, before this moment... Elijah's seen two incredible miracles take place. And I mean like two incredible miracles. And they're not myths or stories or legends. They are true events that literally happened in about 850 BC, which for any history buffs is the start of the Iron Age in Europe. So 850 BC, Elijah is living. And, and he's going up against this nation that don't believe in the God he believes in. And so they do a whole load of weird stuff. But it, it ends up with this, this big altar being built. And this, this other nation, they're trying to get their God to call fire down from heaven. But it's not working because their God doesn't exist. And then out of nowhere, Elijah comes along in the middle of a drought and pours heaps and heaps of water on the altar. Side point, heaps and heaps of water in a drought is a huge sacrifice. And so maybe you're waiting for your miracle, but the key to unlocking your miracle is sacrifice on your part. Sacrificing your pride to get in front of the altar and believe that God could change something in your life if you sacrifice that little bit inside of you you don't want to sacrifice. Maybe sacrifice is the key to your breakthrough. So, so Elijah pours down water in a drought, which is ridiculous, on this altar. And we all know if you put water on a fire, it goes outright. So he pours water on, on this altar. And then he prays that God would, would show, show his might to this nation by fire falling down from heaven. And fire falls down from heaven, burns up this altar. And these guys are like, oh, my days, your God is actually real. And then a big fight happens and these other guys get killed and it all goes off. But one like incredible, incredible miracle. And then straight after that, it's not rained for seven years. Can you imagine that in Wales? Goodness me. Not rained for seven years. And Elijah says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. Goes up to a mountaintop to pray. It's a story where he sends his servant off seven times. 
and then a little cloud the size of a man's hand, and before we know it, torrential downpour is hitting the ground. So two incredible miracles, fire from heaven, a drought for seven years, ending it at Elijah's word. And then we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So the queen sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. This is, this is like bigger than the FBI putting you on the most wanted list. This is bigger than you going up all over Facebook as a wanted man or a wanted woman. Like this is a decree from the king's household that by this time tomorrow you will be dead. By this time tomorrow you will be dead. And so Elijah runs for his life. In his fear he runs for his life. And it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He prays that he would die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Such a great miracle that led to such great pain. His circumstances changed in the word of the queen who put a kill threat on his life. So he runs as fast and as far as he can. And what happens is he's led to a point of literal suicide where he literally prays that God would take his life from him. In his pain and in his anguish and his isolation and loneliness, he sits down and he prays, God, will you take my life? I've had enough. Two incredible miracles lead to a moment of such great pain. And you you see, I think Elijah makes one mistake. He makes one absolutely huge mistake off the back of these miracles that lead to a point of suicide in his life. And I think if we can learn from Elijah's life, if we can learn from the mistakes he's made, and if we can learn in our own lives to not make the same mistakes, it means when these times of pain come, when these times of anguish and torment come, when these circumstances change that we have nothing to control and, and nothing to do with, but it causes such great pain to us, if you can learn from the one mistake Elijah makes, then it means when the pain comes, we might just find a way to thrive through it, to experience a fullness of life, even in the midst of our deepest pain. Would that be good? Come on. Here's the mistake Elijah makes. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. You know, Elijah chose fear over faith. Elijah chose, because it's a choice, he chose fear over faith. He chose fear over faith. Here's the hard thing for us, Summer Camp. The roar of fear will always be louder than the whisper of faith. The roar of fear in your own life will always be louder than the whisper of faith. Here's why. You'll leave summer camp and you'll go home to a family that's not been here, to a family that might not believe in God, to a family that doesn't know what you've experienced, and suddenly you're in, immersed in a world without God and a world of fear. And suddenly the roar of fear starts creeping in on you. Or you go to school and your friends haven't been here and they don't know the God you know. And circumstances happen to them, and, and you're immersed in their world of fear. Or you go into your workplace, 
and your colleagues don't know the God you know, and you're immersed into their world of fear. So everything you experience is experienced through this world of fear because the roar of fear will always be louder than the whisper of faith. Always. And so Elijah, in this moment, in his pain, his servants, his advisors are saying to him, Elijah, they're going to kill you. They're going to come for you. Fear is being spoken over him. And Elijah accepts the fear because the roar of fear is louder than the whisper of faith. And so he runs for his life in his fear. You know, isn't it remarkable? Isn't it remarkable how quickly we forget the miracles of yesterday in the pain of today? Isn't it remarkable how quickly we forget the miracles of yesterday in the pain of today? I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Elijah, you've just experienced two incredible miracles, two of the greatest acts of God this world has ever seen, fire falling from heaven and rain coming for the first time in seven years at your word. You're you're literally hours since those miracles happening and, and it's like you've forgotten everything. It's like you've forgotten the God that did those miracles can still work in your pain today. Elijah, it's like you've forgotten the God that did something remarkable yesterday can do something remarkable today. It's like you've forgotten what God did to you. Elijah, have you forgotten the miracles? Have you forgotten the miracles? And so I say to you, Summer Camp, have you forgotten the miracles? Have you forgotten the miracles that God did in your life this time last year? Have you forgotten how God healed you last year? Have you forgotten how the breakthrough came to you last year? Have you forgotten that you were filled with the Spirit of God and given all authority over the power of the enemy? Have you forgotten what God did in your life? Can I get an amen? Have you forgotten what God did in your life? But it's so remarkable because the pain comes and immediately forget the miracles of yesterday. And Elijah, he forgot who his God was. In his fear, in choosing fear over faith, he forgot who his God was. He forgot his God was the one who brought fire from heaven in his power. He forgot his God was the one who loved him so much that his word rained foul from heaven. He forgot his God was the one that protects him all the way through his childhood. And instead he chose his fear because he forgot how remarkable the miracles of yesterday were in the pain of today. You know, pain will always steal your focus. Pain will always steal your focus. I don't, I don't know if you've heard, but last year I got stung by two bees. And, um, and, and at the time, like, I, I'm quite a healthy guy, you know. Um, it's been like three and a bit years since I took a day off work for being ill. Um, I'm, I don't really get colds or flus in winter. I, I don't really have allergies. Um, and, and when this, when this bee, when the, the wasp stung me at the back of my, my knee, um, like, like my body was healthy, you know. Like the whole of my upper body was like perfectly healthy, like no bruises, no cuts, no nothing. And, and my head and my arms were, were perfectly formed and, and didn't have any wasp stings on them. And, and my right leg was absolutely fine. That, that had no stings on it. And, um, and even my left leg, you know, above the knee, below the knee, like perfectly healthy. I had no viruses. I had no um, illnesses. I had, I had nothing wrong with me apart from two little stings on the back of my knee. But can you guess where my attention was? As I'm curled up, crying in the shower, was I thinking about my perfectly formed right leg or how healthy I was in that moment and, and, how, and how there was no illness in my body? Or, or, or do you think in that moment I was, I was angry and in anguish at the tiny little pain in the back of my knee? 
Why? Because pain will always steal your focus. You know, your whole life could be absolutely fine, but that one argument with your friend, and it feels like everything's falling apart. It feels like your whole world has been ruined, when actually everything's going great apart from one such small area, because the pain will always steal your focus. Pain will always steal your focus. I find this remarkable, you know. Elijah's name in Hebrew, in the language that Elijah lived in, Elijah's name means my God of power. That's what the name Elijah means, my God of power. And so all through his childhood, Elijah would have been told this. He would have been told, Elijah, do you know what your name means? And he'd be like, yes, mum. It means my God of power. Elijah, have you, have you heard the stories about how God saved the nation of Israel from the Egyptians and how Moses parted the Red Sea and, and your God of power allowed them to? He's like, yes, I've heard that story. Elijah, have you heard how King David killed Goliath with a stone? The greatest warrior the world's ever faced was killed by a stone. Yes, because my God of power did it. And Elijah knew these stories. He knew the amazing things God did, but in that moment, he forgot everything as the pain stole his focus, as the fear roared louder than the faith, and as he chose to run for his life, leading to a place of such pain and suicide that he'd never experienced before. But pain will always steal your focus. He chose fear over faith. He forgot who his God was. Pain will steal your focus. Even though his name meant God of power, He'd forgotten the miracles of yesterday in the pain of today. And it's so true for us as well. It's so true for us as well. You know, um, some of you will know this story. Um, some, some of you might not. But um, this year has been a, a topsy-turvy one. Lots of highs, few lows. And um, a few months ago, uh, I experienced something that I'd never experienced before in this world. And um, I, I work at the NHS um, four days a week and my job means I, I do a lot of traveling between different hospitals and so I was in my car one one lunchtime driving to another meeting and I noticed that um, I had a missed call from Nathan my phone and uh, me and Nathan chat a lot I love him a lot as we all do and so I, I call him back on my hands free and I'm Nathan picks up and I'm like yo Nathan what's up how's Lauren how's Caleb has he said my name yet and uh Nate's like, yeah, 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 mate, um, that's fine. Um, Greg, I've got some bad news to tell you. And I, I mean, that could be anything, couldn't it? I've got some bad news to tell you. I mean, that could be that he's got to rearrange our date night. Or, or it, I mean, or it could be the worst of the worst, right? I've got, I've got some bad news to tell you. It could be like something so little I wouldn't care about, or it could be something of extreme pain, and, and his, his next words sort of highlighted which one of the two it was. He was like, uh, yeah, I've, I've been ringing a few people, and I'm, I'm not sure if anyone would have told you this yet. And, and so suddenly, like, okay, a few people know, and, and some people would have told me maybe. Um, so obviously it's quite a big thing then. And Nathan goes on to tell me that the previous night, um, Kieran Hayward, one of my best friends growing up, uh, took his own life. And to put this into context, um, when I was your age, there, there was three of us, me, Sam, and Kieran. And we did everything together. Everything. Like every second we weren't in school, we were at someone's house. Sleepovers and bonfires and camping experiences and summer camps like this where we'd stay up all night, wreak all sorts of havoc for our leaders and wake up the next morning. And we'd be on worship band together and we'd serve God together and we did everything together and we loved God together and we'd pray together. Everything. We started a band at one point. It's incredible. 
and, uh, and we did everything together. And then once we left school, um, like Kieran's path took a, a d different turn and, and he found himself in a, a spiral of drugs, alcohol and, and depression, which culminated in him a few months ago deciding to take his own life, leaving behind his partner and three-year-old son. And so Nick tells me this in the car and I'm like, flip me. Because up until that point, I'd never really experienced grief. Um, I'd come from a really small family, my mum, my granddad, my auntie. And, uh, and so, like, with only three of them, they're, they're all healthy and they're all fairly young. Um, and so they, none of them had had any issues or passed away or anything. I'd, I'd only been to two funerals to that point, but both of them were at the result of long illnesses and, and were really family friends than, than people I knew personally. So for the first time in my life, I'm driving my car to a meeting at the NHS, and I'm feeling what I know to be grief. And I remember I pulled over in Asda, and we finished the call, and I sent an email to say I wasn't going to make the meeting. And, um, and I drove to Acosta, ordered a coffee, and thought, what on earth does this mean? And I'm trying to process like the grief and the emotions and the feelings, and I'm not very good when it comes to my emotions anyway. Ames, my wife, has to do multiple choice with me, literally. She's like, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling regretful? Are you feeling angry? And um, to help me understand what I'm feeling. And then I, like, I get home, I phone Ames up, I'm crying on the phone, she's still at work crying on the phone, and we're like, you know, how, how on earth, what, how do we process this? And so for the first time in my life, I'm experiencing the pain of grief. One of my best friends growing up got to a point where he took his own life, and the questions come raining in, don't they? What if I'd spoken to him more? What if I'd tried to hang out with him more? What if I'd sent him a message that day? What if I'd invited him round to my house or picked him up and gone somewhere? What if I'd checked in with him more often? What if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Maybe the outcome would have been different. And in those moments, it would be easy to blame God, wouldn't it? Like, God, why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you stop that from happening? Why didn't you prompt me to help him? Why didn't you, God? Why didn't you, God? Why didn't you, God? But the thing is, in, in that moment, I had to remember who my God was. You know, and, and God, in his love for us, gave us control of the world. In Genesis, he says he gives, gives us dominion, control, sovereignty of the world. So. so I don't believe God could have intervened because he's given us control in his free will. And so I can't blame God because he's given us control of the world. And so what do I know to be true? Well, I, I know God loved Kieran. I know he does. The Bible tells me that God is love, that God loves everyone. And I know that Kieran believed in God. He'd spoken of rejoining the worship band at one point and trying to get his life back on track. So I believe that Kieran was saved. And even though his actions led to such a disastrous point, similar to that we find Elijah in, even though his actions led to such a disastrous point, I believe in a God of salvation and a God of restoration who picks people up from the pits of death and despair and brings them to life in him. And so I've got to hold on to the God I know to be true. I've got to hold on to the God I know to be true. And so in that moment, what I held on to was the consistency of God. I held on to the consistency of God. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in those moments when I don't know the emotions I'm feeling, and I'm trying to work this thing out, I hold on to the consistency of Jesus. Though no matter the pain of today, he is the same. And no matter what goes on at school or at work, Jesus is the same. 
No matter what happens in my day, I can get into my bedroom and I can speak to the same Jesus. So when everything else is falling apart, Jesus remains the same. And when everything else makes no sense, Jesus remains the same. And when confusion reigns and when your life is full of pain, Jesus remains the same. And I don't know the pain that you might face this year. I don't know the pain that you're facing right now. But what I do know is that Jesus stays the same. And I do know that my God is all-powerful and has the power to act in your pain regardless of what you're facing. And the same God that brought us through that horrible time of losing Kieran can bring you through your pain. And, and I've got a slide at the back, Mark, which highlights some of the characteristics of God that I know to be true. And so maybe in your season of pain, you need to hold on to one of these. I don't know what it is, but I believe God will show that to you. Maybe you need to hold on to the power of God. That no matter the pain you're going through, God's power remains the same. And that God will work through you. God will give you the power to overcome. Maybe you need to hold on to the forgiveness of God. You've done something stupid and it's caused you such pain. But the Bible says you will be forgiven. Already, the act is done. He will forgive you. You need to hold on to the endurance or provision of God or the joy of God. The consistency or love of God. I don't know what it is. But I'd encourage you in your moment of such pain, don't do what Elijah did where he chose fear over faith. Don't let your pain to steal your focus, but choose to put your focus onto God. A God of consistency, a God of power, a God of love, of hope, of provision of endurance and forgiveness. Choose. Choose to put your focus onto that God. Don't fall away into the pain and fear, but choose faith. Choose it. Hold on to who you know God to be. Hold on, the same God that healed you at summer camp can heal you in two months' time. The same God that moved in your life here can move in your life at school and in your family and in your home. And we're going to close this morning by praying for some people. And um, the band are going to sing the song for us. And like I said, I don't know the pain that you've faced or the pain that you will face. But I do know that in a room this size, there's going to be some pain here this morning. And I do know that my God is a healer. And God wants to heal that pain. And God wants to empower you to face the pain and to come through the pain and to thrive in the pain. So what I want you to do is we've got this front space. And like they've said, it's not special, but it gives you space and a moment to worship on your own. And so as these guys sing this song, if you're facing that pain, and it may be physical pain, like there's literally something wrong with your body. Maybe a mental pain, like there's, you get labeled with something called depression or anxiety. Or it may be an emotional pain that you face something this year, something's happened to you this year, and you need some healing right now. We're going to open up this front, and we believe that in this morning session, you will be healed. We believe the power of God will come on your life to heal you, so that you will leave this place never the same to who you came in. The power of God will come to you. So, Bang, could you sing this song for us? And if that's you, come to the front and believe that God will heal you in your pain. Thank you. There's a, uh, there's a few specific people we're going to pray for. And, uh, and the first one is we, we want to pray for people who are literally experiencing physical pain this morning. 
Like there is pain in your body. There's something the doctors say are wrong with you, an ankle, an elbow, who knows? We want to pray for physical pain that you will literally be healed in the name of Jesus this morning because his power will come upon you and heal you. And so I want you to do something a little bit brave if that's you. I just want you to pop up a hand. And as you pop up a hand, the leader's going to come around you. They're going to lay a hand on you. And we are going to believe that as we sing this, your pain will literally be healed in the name of Jesus. So pop up a hand if you've got physical pain this morning. If there's something wrong with your body that you need Jesus to come and heal you from, pop up a hand. Leaders, get around people with their hands up. Pray that God's spirit will move through you to heal them. The, the next thing we're going to pray for is a biggie. And it's such a huge thing for our generation that our generation is facing. And it's mental health. A lot of you will know this story, but three years ago this summer camp, um, I suffered my last ever panic attack. And I was prayed for at this altar and have never been the same again. And so we're going to believe the same for you that the mental illness may seem so strong and so powerful and so all-encompassing. But I know that our God is more powerful. I know that our God is a God that wants to heal your mental health. I know that our God is a God that wants to bring you a fullness of life that means your whole body and mind and soul and spirit. I know our God is a God that will heal. And so can we make some space just at the front here? And if that's you, if you get labeled with something like depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts, these things seem so big what I want you to do is I want you to come and kneel before God and believe that as you submit yourself to God as you sacrifice yourself to God a healing word will come upon you and set you free that chains will be broken in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus band can you lift us as we believe that God moves in this place Keep praying, guys. Like God's doing some really cool stuff this morning. Changing stuff that's going to impact your life forever. We're going to take some time and we're going to sing together in a moment. I encourage us, don't switch off. Keep pressing in. Let's not spectate. Let's pray. We're going to sing a song in a second about the power of Jesus to break every chain. And as Greg just testified a moment ago, three years ago was his last panic attack and we're believing that what is on the floor here will be left here. Um, and we're going to sing this together and declare that there's power in the name of Jesus to break every stronghold, to break every mindset, to break everything that would hold you back from being the person that God wants you to be. So as we stand and as we sing this together, this is an exclamation mark. This is us agreeing with what the Spirit of God has done and saying, that's the old me that is dead and gone. I'm believing that Jesus, your power has changed, has set free, has transformed me. So as you stand, once you're done praying and sing this, that's our confession and that's our declaration in Jesus' name. Come on, let's stand and sing. <laughs> 